Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. We talk about change, about creative destruction, about all the ways that the world, both locally and globally, is different. But it all seems to have its genesis in Silicon Valley. The games, the apps, the communication, and the nature of life and work itself. But these changes were not the result of some kind of technological immaculate conception. Sure, they were engineered, the O's and ones and transistors were all a part of it. But they also had a cultural underpinning, based on the people, the characters, and often the geniuses that migrated to the Valley. There used to be an ongoing debate in the world of sports as to whether marketing and success was about teams or about celebrity power and individual stars. Years ago, the NFL made the decision it was about teams. The NBA very consciously made the opposite decision, that individual stars were the key to success. Without collusion or even a formal meeting, it certainly appears that Silicon Valley long ago made the decision that companies and products rise or fall on individuals and their power to create, to sell, to market, and mostly to capture the public imagination. Hollywood has often been referred to as high school with money. If that's true, then Silicon Valley has the same elements. Now maybe we have to refer to the Valley as like Hollywood, except that it really changes the world. Capturing the zeitgeist of the Valley through all of its ups and downs is my guest, Adam Fisher. Adam Fisher grew up in the Valley, playing computer games and reading science fiction, and now he writes for Wired, MIT Technology Review, The New York Times, and he's just published his first book, Valley of Genius, The Uncensored History of Silicon Valley, as told by the hackers, founders, and freaks who made it boom. Adam Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Jeff. Great to be here with you. It's great to have you here. In the course of, of reporting this book, uh, talk a little bit about the people that you talked to, because you went and, and really captured everybody, hundreds and hundreds of people that really played such a significant role over such a long period of time in the Valley. Yeah, basically, so I, I cover the last 50 years of the Valley, the modern history, and I talked to uh, uh, you know, billionaires and their interns who then become billionaires themselves, um, and then, you know, the players on the stage, but also, and I think it's very important, the people who watched live as this, this great drama unfolded. Um, that's the book. And as this drama unfolded, one of the, the senses that, that I come away with is this isn't just a story about technology and creative destruction and good ideas, that this is underlying all of it a cultural story. Talk about that. Uh, yeah, I just got frustrated um, by the stories that were coming out of the mainstream media. media. And uh, formerly, I was you know, a card-carrying member of this mainstream media before I dropped out to write a book. <laughs> And, and it was always who's up and who's down, the business story, who's the next billionaire, who's the king of Silicon Valley, right? But, but I just thought that, you know, that is a great story. It's the business story of the century, but it's actually, I thought, uh, just a, a part of the larger story, which is a cultural story. These guys aren't just in the economic driver's they're, they're driving the culture. The kids are going to Silicon Valley because they see, you know, what a lucky and ambitious 20-something-year-old can do. Um, and and, and it's, it's just turned our head around. It will be remembered as, as, as big as a big as a cultural force as, as rock and roll, as rap, as 
which is, I think, the most astonishing thing. And part of that is that there were so many forces that came together at a certain time, the creative forces, the technological forces, the venture capitalists and all their money. It was almost the perfect storm of, of, of this cultural transformation. Yes, but remember, this perfect storm was coming together historically in a number of places. It, it could have been in Texas, where, where the, the uh, um, integrated circuit was kind of half invented. It could have been up uh, in Massachusetts with Harvard and IBM close by, but it happened in Silicon Valley. And I believe the answer to the question why is a cultural answer. And, and talk about what were the cultural forces that were at play that brought this together there as opposed to any of those other potential places? Well, you know, uh, you know Northern California's re- reputation. It's this kind of woolly-headed, um, woo-woo, countercultural place. I mean, the counterculture is the establishment in San Francisco and the Bay Area, and has been so for decades. And uh, I don't want to make too much of this, um, because tech, the geek culture is not the hippie culture, but the geek culture definitely was a counterculture, um, at least in the beginning. Now it is the pop culture, I believe. And there is just a, 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 just a fascinating interweaving of kind of the, the, the drug culture, frankly, with the, the geek culture um, and the counterculture. Uh, you know, they used to call it the technoculture in the 80s. I guess one of the questions that I came away with is the degree to which the technology drove the culture or the culture drove the technology. You know, it's the snake eating its own tail. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a subtle point, okay? But one of the one of the great moments was after the Macintosh was first um, uh, put into the market in '84. The killer app, as they call it, for the Macintosh was desktop publishing. So suddenly, small groups of people could put out things in San Francisco and anywhere really could put out magazines, which were the main culture force back then, that looked like a huge corporation put put out, you know, like where with hundreds of people. And uh, because it was slick, you know, the production values were high. Uh, one of the first magazines was called Mondo 2000, and they like kind of imagined this world where technology and psychedelics kind of collided and mated. And, um, and, and, then, they, and then they put out a magazine about it. Um, and then... Lo and behold, these people kind of appeared because they saw this image in the magazine and decided, like, that's my tribe. And, and, and that's the way it, um, that technology kind of gets into the driver's seat and starts literally creating the culture. Um, and that's kind of, you know, we're in an advanced form of that today. It's interesting to note that the publishing, the desktop publishing, was kind of the killer app for the Macintosh. And yet, when, when Microsoft came along, the killer app was spreadsheets. I mean, those two differences tell us a lot about the way things evolved. It's interesting, actually, the killer app for the Apple II, the first successful personal computer, was the spreadsheet. Okay, that's why Steve Jobs wanted his next. So the Apple II, the actual spec 
well, that it was designed to was Waz wanted to, to program copies of Atari games. That's why it had color. That's why it had sound. That's why it came with BASIC, which was called Game Basic, the language that you could program in. Um, but some other people, you know, as William Gibson, the great science fiction writer, says, the street finds its own use for things. And Wall Street found the, the real use, which was... Um, which was a spreadsheet, and that's that's what uh, propelled the Mac. Uh, I'm sorry, the Apple II into offices and desks everywhere, and and that is why Steve Jobs was so insistent that the next machine was a business machine. Talk a little bit about the youthfulness, this this counterculture attitude, and the role that that money and venture capital played in kind of running up against this. Well, you'll really get a lot. I mean, this is what the book is about. Right. So, so um, you'll 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 get it in 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 its full effect if you read the book. But what is interesting is that virtually every person I talk to, you know, uh, you know, these are people who were, are not trying to launch a new product, who are already made it, and who are just kind of watching. What, what has happened to their scene and their culture. Almost every one of them, after they told me their personal story, wanted to talk about the problems uh, in Silicon Valley today and, and, and its kind of negative, corrosive side. And they all said it was when the money came in that everything went to, to heck in a handbasket. And so, but, but the odd thing is, it depends. It depended on what era they were at um, when they uh, that they came up in when they when they identified when the actual money came in. Right. So it was always after they had built their thing, the money corrupted everything else. In talking to all these people and putting this oral history Valley of Genius together, do you think the money corrupted it, or do you think, which, which is sort of the impression that, that I came away with, is that it was the tension between the creativity, the counterculture, and the money. That tension is really what created a lot of the success, oddly enough. Yeah, the biggest invention came out of Silicon Valley was kind of this this new system of, of the, the startup. That's the invention. But I do think things are out of balance. Um, and I did, you know, I did write this history uh to try to exhume the good, interesting, authentic maker culture that's kind of trapped in amber in this like suffocating blanket of money. I think if we're going to be able to, to go into the future in a positive way, we're going to have to, to find this history and celebrate it. Um, because that's that's what really history is for. It's it's a way to navigate the future. It, it's useful. It helps us now to go into the future. So really, the book's about the future, really. One of the things that's so interesting, though, and it, it, it's part of this startup culture that you talk about, is that so many of these individuals, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Google, or some of the lesser-known companies that, that you write about and individuals that you write about, that all these companies have an origin story, that they all have a founding myth. And oftentimes that mythology bears very little relationship to what really happened. 
Yeah, and and you got to know these stories. That's just kind of the the stakes if you want to ante up to the table. And you know, I've collected them here all in one place, and I've gone back to the primary sources to get not just the myth but the actual story. And um, and taken together, you know, these stories form a culture because really that's what a culture is, the stories we tell ourselves. And, and again, that's why I see this as um, not, not a nerdy kind of geek out on, on what happened in the past, but very relevant for, for anybody who's interacting with Silicon Valley now or just interested and, and very important for the future if, if, if we're going to try to get somewhere positive. What's different to, to two parts of the question, really? What's different today, if anything? And how much of, of the problems that the Valley faces today really owe it, its antecedents to so much of what you write about in these various periods, both before the dot-com bust and after? And is that a significant dividing line? The real dividing line, if you, if you look at the history, was... Uh, Netscape's IPO in 95. Pre-Netscape, the Valley was built on selling products to people. Post-95, now uh, we're in the internet era, and now we're selling people to, you know, companies. We're selling their data. And it's it, it 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 went fundamentally from a maker economy where people made things people who made things were rewarded to a kind of mining economy an exploitation economy and you see and i think that fundamental economic change of the substrate is the cause of a lot of this dysfunction because the kind of dysfunction you know wealth stratification has and has not this kind of wholesale corporate and even governmental manipulation of the masses of people it's the kind of thing you would expect in like a developing country uh, a, a third or fourth world country that's uh, that that's being colonized, exploited. So I think that's the answer, really, about the divide and what's really going on when you get down to the, the basics, the underpinnings. And in that regard, how much self-awareness did you find among the people you talked to? How much awareness of, of all of these issues were, were people willing to cop to? I tell you, you know, I titled the book Valley of Genius, and I didn't meet Leonardo da Vinci, <laughs> but almost everyone I met was, you know, you know, genius level IQ, and all of them, to a woman and man, were self-aware in this, and this, um, and they really understood the stakes here. And I think ultimately that's why I got such incredible access. I mean, I had billionaires giving me days of their lives um, just to talk to me about this. Um, a lot of them. Um, and, you know, time is money for these guys. So, I, you know, well, I, I think they care. They, they care. 
about the end product, but they also care about how they're portrayed, not just in, in Valley of Genius, but what yeah. their legacy is going to be. Yes, they do. The guys who have kind of aged out or made their, made their uh, millions care um, about, about that stuff, and they're thinking about it now. And, um, you know, I don't know if it's going to change, though. You know, one of my favorite quotes from one of these self-aware geniuses was, look, Silicon Valley, you know, we talk about it as this, like, agent of change, et cetera, et cetera. But Silicon Valley now is like Detroit in the 50s. There's three companies, GM, Ford, Chrysler, and they control everything. And look, the tail fins go up. You know, you get a new feature on your phone or your messaging service, um, or uh, you know, or or they 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 add a turbo to the engine. Um, but fundamentally, nothing changes, and it's going to be locked down. Okay. Now, looking at it as a historian, I I believe he's absolutely right, but I also see how wave after wave of young, idealistic, even countercultural um, young people, technical people, not, um, have come in and overthrown these kind of monopolistic systems. You know, it's Microsoft, IBM. Um, the difference now is the, the people in control of Silicon Valley are not outsiders. They... they, they came up through that system. So we'll see. I mean, it, the, the story is still unfolding and just starting, and I, and I can't wait to see where it goes. But right. I, do think, I do think if you read this book, you'll, you'll get a sense of that, that long arc and, and the themes that just keep popping up, guiding us. And one wonders if it's even countercultural anymore, if you can even use that phrase, given that that is the dominant culture. Interesting. It's kind of like the permanent revolution in Cuba or something. Right. Um, well, look, you know, I, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook, they're not, they're listed on the stock exchange there. They're not countercultural. They're just not. Um, but it is true that the kids, the 20-somethings, like all 20-somethings are rebels. They actually have the money to like, to just drop out and and do their idea because they can get a job at will for, you know, hundred, two hundred thousand a year, depending on their skills. So um, I, I actually expect to see a lot of, of disruption coming from this kind of underground. The problem is you don't hear about it because like I said, this is, this is looked at as a business story and, you know, a business reporter's first question is, are you funded? Right. Who, who's your VC? You know, I mean, come on. What role does geography, particularly, the, and you talk a lot about it, and many of the people that you talk to early on especially talk about the geography of the valley, almost, you know, in that, in that company town kind of way you're talking about. Talk a little bit about that as it, has, as it has now spread out so far to encompass even San Francisco. Sure, and even, gosh, farther, really. Right. Look, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a huge role but a kind of subtle role. I've been talking about kind of the mistakes we often make when looking at Silicon Valley, and I think one of the main one is we always look for the, the, the New York, 
mainstream press, it always tries to answer the question, who is the king of Silicon Valley? Okay. So, oh, it's Jobs. No, no, no. It's uh, Elon Musk. It's, you know, this and that. And I believe that is a fundamental mistake. It comes from this hub and spoke, this kind of idea that there is one center. Well, if you look at Silicon Valley, there is not one center. There is not a midtown. And, and it is actually, in a geographical sense, a network of, of a, a couple big cities and a lot of small towns all connected. And if you look at what Silicon Valley is built and how it works, it is also a network. Okay. And, and, and that's one of the great, that is one of the reasons I told the story as, as a chorus with 200 characters, um, because it gives you, a real feel for how it really is. It's kind of this network society where there's many multiple centers um, and, they, and there's a lot of back and forth where people travel from company to company. You know, I like to say, and this is hyperbole, but, but it's, it's, there's a, an element of truth in it that only 50 people kind of invented everything that came out of Silicon Valley. And if you read the book, you see these names, the same names, different, different chapters, different companies, different kind of founding myths or magic moments. But the same names keep coming up and up. And so that I guess when one looks to the future, the question is, is there, is there a new generation coming along that owes their, their skills, their history, obviously, to these 50 people but that will create something anew in kind of Silicon Valley 3.0? Well, the answer is yes. The question is, are they going to make the same mistakes? And if they read this book, I think they won't. (laughs) If they don't read the book, they will. So that's the answer. The book is Valley of Genius. The uncensored history of Silicon Valley is told by the hackers, founders, and freaks who made it boom. It's all pulled together by our guest, Adam Fisher. Adam, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Jeff, it was my pleasure. Thank you.